privilege to be up here. Um, I didn't get, we were out of town for Christmas Eve, but I heard amazing things about, so who got to be at, at Christmas Eve? I'm just curious who was all there. Yeah, I mean, it was just such a special night, apparently. And, uh, you know, on our Slack channel as a staff team, everyone was just like, this was the best ever. And I'm like, can you guys, I'm just mute. <laughs> you can mute the Slack chat. I was disappointed, but um, it's good to see you all here today. Uh, for those, last week we weren't here. Uh, we were just, this was Boxing Day, and so we decided to just do a live stream. And I got to share uh, just a quick devotional on some thoughts I was having around New Year's and how do we shape New Year's resolutions moving forward? What are the things we think about with that? And I kind of wanted to just give a little bit of a part two as we're in this, I don't know, maybe, maybe you feel the same way I do, where this is kind of a time where we have moments to reflect and go, what is this next year to be about? And sometimes we have a little bit of downtime. And uh, if you're like me, I try to use these times to think and listen to God and spend a little bit more time in the Word and go, like, what would you have of me this year? And, and if that's not how you spend this time, I would encourage you to. It's, it's a good use of time. And maybe I can help a little bit. As I've been thinking through what uh, this year is supposed to be about for me, it's led me to some certain scriptures and truths that I think have just been really, a, a really big blessing in my heart, and I hope that they would be for you too. And so just to catch you up, if you didn't catch the live stream last Sunday, um, the truth that I just wanted to impart in a brief way was that we don't actually have to be, we don't have to know everything about this year. We have this amazing luxury of getting to submit to somebody who does. That's a huge gift. And it feels, I, my, I made a joke, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek way of saying it, but I, uh, my New Year's resolution is to be a slave this year. And uh, there's just this immense privilege of being able to show up every day and uh, not have to know where everything's coming from or where it's going, but we get to be obedient. And obviously that hurts our pride sometimes. Sometimes we don't, doing, we don't like doing what we're told. There's obvious downsides to not being in charge, at least to our pride. But let's not forget the immensity of the peace that comes from having someone that it does know is leading us by the hand and all we have to do is listen and obey. So that was a truth that I was thinking through as we shaped through this next year. And it got me to thinking as there's gonna be a part two to this, how does that work, and what kind of tension does that introduce into our lives? That's a nice thought. It's like, okay, well, we, can, we just get to trust and obey God. This is, you know, that's pretty simple. And then as I start to unpack what that might look like day to day, some different tensions start to rise up. And there's one in particular, is that there is an implication of having a master and having a boss and having someone that we get to submit to that knows everything, that has all the materials and has all the knowledge. The implication is at some point we do actually have to do something, right? Like it's not, we know that there's something to go do now and there actually has to be a plan for the day and there are certain things to accomplish and sometimes it's a ton of effort and there's lots of work to do. And so I just was looking up some verses that had to do with, okay, great, I cast all my anxieties on him. I'm just obedient to him. Wow, actually immense peace. That's huge. I don't have to know everything. Okay, now what do I do? And there's a, there's a passage that it led me to that I want to work through today. And it's 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 24 to 27. And it'll be up on the screen. You can also turn in your Bibles or your phones if you want to follow along. So we'll, we'll be jumping around uh, in it. So it's good to have open if you'd like. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. And it says this. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it, speaking to the church, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So here's the tension. Cast all your anxieties upon him. Compete to win a prize. They feel really different, don't they? They feel hard to reconcile. Different language, like peace, rest, obey, and train, strict, try, effort, prize, goal, race, run. And I don't, it's not immediately obvious to me how to live in the tension of those two things. But somewhere in the middle of it, I think it's some really good news, and that's what we want to talk about. So, uh, uh, I gave the example last, last week of uh, the construction workers in our backyard building the laneway, and it's always obvious to tell who the foreman is and who the, um, the junior apprentice is, or like the 19-year-old that has a summer job or whatever. And the, sorry, there's a repeat from last week, but the, you can always tell that the, the, the 19-year-old leans a little bit on stuff and they kind of wait a little, you know, and they're not always doing things. And the foreman, you can always tell that they're on their phones and they're a little more stressed out and they have less hair and they're just like panicking and things, things aren't going to come in time. You can always tell. And I just think, you think about the 19-year-old, like, you just got to show up today, you know? What a great, you just got to show up. You didn't know where all the supplies are coming from. And at the end, of the, you, you showed up and, he's, and he said, do this, this, this. And you said, okay, okay, okay. And then you go home and play video games. Like, you don't have to think about it. There's no in and out money. There's no now doing books at the end. There's nothing. And it's a luxury. And uh, that's kind of nice. And uh, when I was 19, between like 15 and 20, uh, in the summers, I would work with uh, my grandpa and then my uncle doing electrical. And when I first started, it, it was like when you're 16, you get up, my uncle starts the day, okay, little rant about my uncle. He, he wants to get to the job site half an hour before all the other trades to get the best parking spot, okay? He already starts at the legal time of being able to start, but we have to get there half an hour early. And he has to stop at Tim Hortons and he has to go to the supplier. So he picked me up every morning, which was very nice of him, but he picked me up at 5 a.m., okay? So 5 a.m., and I'm not gonna, I don't have to take the bus, so uh, Mitch is nodding, 5 a.m. is your butter zone. So... Um, uh, he picked me up at five to get to the job site half an hour early. It drove me nuts. But I'm like, at least I'm getting a ride. And uh, so, you know, I'm 16, working away. And I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing what I'm told, connecting everything. And then uh, my uncle says to me, he, at the end of one day, he's like, you have to go faster than you've been going the last few weeks. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm having a great time. There's not a lot of stress. I'm doing what I'm told. This is great. I'm getting paid more than I would have gotten paid at McDonald's or whatever. Like, this is all working out great for me. And, um, and then I came home and I remember talking to, talking to dad. And I remember just being really frustrated. Like, I can't go faster if they don't want me to make mistakes was my big complaint to you. And I remember you said, you said uh, are you running? Are you running around the job site? And I remember thinking, I'm not running. And I'm, I'm thinking in my head, I'm going to look so stupid running around a job site. You know, the 60, you're literally running from plug to plug connecting it, you know? And I, I was like, I could run. I could run. And so for the next, for the rest of the summer, not all the time, that would be ridiculous. But I started, no, I didn't run from plug to plug. But if someone wanted me to go get something from the truck, I'd run. And it's like, you have these huge tool belts on, like it's all jingling around. And I'd run to the truck and run back. And I got, to, I got to be known amongst all the other trades as the kid that runs everywhere. 
It's like, isn't the kid that jingles along around the drum site, <laughs> dropping his, my hammer would always fall out because you're not supposed to run in tool belts. But I, I remember it was an interesting lesson that, that I thought about a lot. I was like, oh, I could, I could run, you know? And so somehow I get to be, uh, I get to be, I, I get to have all the luxuries of, of not, I'm not being the boss, I'm not being in charge. And yet there's something that that affords where there's this space where you get to, you could run though. You could run. And that makes sense. It actually makes sense that you'd run and that you'd work hard. That, that's what you get to do for as little as, for all the other things you don't have to. It's very simple. It's a little sweaty. But it's really good news. And it's almost like a privilege or something. I don't know. It's my example to set us up. But how does this earnestness, you know, that, that's being talked about in Corinthians here, how does this earnestness to run for a purpose that's important? coexist with the peace that comes from not being in control? How, does, how do these two things coexist? I want to run. I want to run really, I want to work really hard, but not in such a way where I'm now in control again. I want to work really hard this year, but not in such a way where now I'm anxious because I'm in charge. How do we do this? So let's unpack the verse. Verse 24. Do you not know that in, all, that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So verse 24 is saying we're not lazy. Just because, just because we're not in charge doesn't mean we're allowed to be lazy. We're running in a way that's supposed to get the prize. Moving on to 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Arriving at whatever this goal is, which we're going to get to in a second, requires strict discipline. It requires training. It requires effort and skill and thought and adding your own energy to whatever this prize is. So what is the goal? It says it in 25b here. They, they do it, meaning athletes, to get a crown that will not last. But we do it, meaning Christians in the church, to get a crown that lasts forever. So the, the goal here, the prize that we're supposed to be thinking about all the time, is a crown that will last forever. You're like, oh, yeah, that's a nice thought. What does that actually mean? What is that a metaphor for? Uh, let's look at a few other verses that talk about crowns in the New Testament. Crowns in the same kind of manner. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 8 says, Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness. Righteousness means right relationship, by the way. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge, which of the Lord, sorry, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, not only to me, but to all those who loved his appearing. So in Timothy, it's the crown is right relationship. People that love when he's around. People that love him when he's there. That's what the crown is. It's a crown of being in relationship with God, a crown of righteousness, being restored, okay? James 1.2 uses crown in this way. Blessed, one twelve. sorry, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Okay, so here crown is life itself, and life itself seems to come from loving the Lord and knowing him. So we can, we're having this image of a crown form now, right? The prize is to have a crown which equals a right relationship with God, a, a loving relationship with him, a knowing of him. And the knowing of him is what brings life. This is how we're going to be using the word crown. That's what you and I are to be running towards every day, is a crown of righteousness, right relationship, wholeness with him, loving him. This is the crown. 
This is, this is what we are to strive and have strict training for every single day. It's the thing worth running around the job site for, so to speak. <clears throat> verse 26 says, keep going in the verse. Therefore, I do not run like, like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. So what does this mean? When this crown is the when this crown of righteousness and right relationship and love relationship with God, when it's the goal, it frames everything we do. Uh, we don't wake up every morning or start a new year off wondering what that day or year is supposed to be about. We don't run around aimlessly. We don't have random goals every day. There's not a. It's not. I mean, they get tweaked and they they get repurposed and they look different. But ultimately, the ultimate crown, the the Stanley Cup at the end of the playoffs, the ribbon crossing forty kilometers away, it's always the same. And so we don't run around aimlessly. We don't fight like a boxer beating the air, wondering what the goal is today or what the race is for or about. It's super clear. We know what the crown is. We know what the prize is. This is super helpful. I know what I'm doing today. We did the relational rhythms series this fall, kind of on purpose because COVID is chaotic and we're all over the place. We're not seeing each other. Everybody's rhythms got, you know, smashed to bits. I don't mind it. And maybe you're all trying to put them back together now and then things change again and oh my goodness. But we're all kind of in this midst of going, how do we have this structure to this race again? How do we have, how do we have structure, relational structures that keep us close with God and others? That's why we're doing church. We'll do church as much as the government will let us. That's kind of what we decided as a team. It's like, all right, well, whatever the government says we can do, we're going to listen to them, and we'll do what they say, and we're allowed to do this. This is great. But we're trying to put structures in place because there's a race to be ran, and we're trying to run it. We're not, there's not some new goal. It's, we're always trying to do this. And so we talked about Bible reading and fasting and and. Um, evangelism and community and all these different things that are the kinds of strict training that are unto that crown and that prize. So we we hope that was helpful, and we're going to keep doing those things. But that's why they call them spiritual disciplines. We called them relational rhythms to be kind of cute, because I think they're all enhancing relationships because of the definition of what this crown really is. But the word discipline is a great word to use too. Let's just finish the verse, and then we'll have some implications here. So verse 27 says, no, I don't do that. I don't make up my goals every day. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going. I know what crown I'm headed for. uh, No, I I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So what Paul's saying is, he's going, no, I'm striking a blow to your body is the same thing as, it's like discipline. Every single one of those things is like a, a blow to your flesh. We could have called the relational, I, what would, I wrote it down, uh, like a jokey uh, version of the relational rhythms title. The byline could have been, how to strike blows <laughs> to your flesh. <laughs> so we could, that's the byline of relational rhythms, spiritual disciplines. How to suffer for the sake of a really worthwhile goal. How to have it cost you. How... how Growing with others in a meaningful way hurts a little and costs you, of course. That's the byline of, but of course, like, is, don't they? Don't worthwhile, don't runners, runners, it burns to run. And it's good. 
and it's worthwhile, and it's how you get to the end. And so it really, if the goal is relationship with God, then it's, I would want to know what, what, where, like, if the goal is there, and that's the prize, like, tell me how to run. And like, of course it's going to hurt. It's a race. (laughs) And of course there's going to be cost to me. But the, the, the goal frames the whole thing. Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of right relationship, a crown, and peace for those who have been trained by it. Isn't that interesting? That this crown of life that's worth pursuing produces right relationship and peace. Because remember, we have this master, and we have this master that we're not just, you know, giving permission in some abstract form. We have this master that's like, no, where am I going? What am I doing? What am I up to today? So as we talked, we talk about discipline, there's kind of two ditches that I want to talk about. Here's, there's two ways we could go this that, that aren't good. And hopefully as we talk about these ditches, it'll help illuminate what the, what the middle should look like for us. So here's one ditch, is working really hard and training and being really disciplined for the wrong prize. Working really hard, having efforts, uh, showing up to all the stuff, getting up early, whatever you're doing, for the wrong prize. That's a, that's a tragedy. <laughs> to, to put in all that effort and all that work. I think about the Pharisees with the classic example, you know, in Scripture, where they had the first five books of the Bible memorized by the time they were five and a half or something, and then Jesus comes along and goes, you have to be more perfect for them to enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine how all the people that were listening to that, being like, no, 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 those people work super hard. But Jesus saw right through why. It's like, you're training, but is it to know me? You're training, but is it... Is it for the right prize? And so training for the wrong prize is, is, uh, is problematic. Matthew 19, 44 to 46 says this. This is Jesus speaking. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Can think about a crown again or a pearl? When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the whole field. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So, uh, what's the wrong prize? What's what's the wrong prize to run for? Should we make a list of all the things? Here's what not to make your life about. I don't know if we could do that. That's too hard. But what wrong is, is leaving Jesus behind whatever you're doing. What wrong is, is having a different crown than the one that promises life and relationship. Don't leave Jesus behind. That's the, wrong pr- that's the wrong prize, whatever it is that you picture in your head. If at the end there isn't him and closeness with him and knowing him more and life with him, it's the wrong goal. So yeah, I want to dwell on this for a second because what happens is, is, is we misunderstand this a lot. We think that there's good pursuits and bad pursuits. There's Christian activity and then not Christian activity. And certainly to an, to an extent there is. I mean, there's, there's barring sin, there, there is kind of no such thing as this is the Christian stuff and then this is the not Jesus stuff. Like, if you really want to serve God, you have to go into ministry or something. Like, we all know that. We're like, no, that, that can't be true. But sometimes you get tricked into these different things. But we, and then we praise the explicitly Christian activity and then we don't kind of, and then there's kind of stuff that's just like nothing activity. It's like work is over here off to the side that we have to do or something. Uh, 
No, no, no. It's all redeemed to the degree that it's about the prize. It's all running the race to the degree that it's about the, the prize. And so um, I, I feel like this is really important to understand because what, what can happen is we start to pedestalize Christian-y, churchy things, and then other stuff kind of gets put, put like uh, sort of shoved off to the side. But to be honest, guys, I don't know why you're all here tonight. Like, you might be here for not the prize. You might be sharing your faith for not the right prize. You might be showing up to church for not the right prize. And you might be working and, you know, being greedy and doing all these other things, the not churchy things for the wrong prize too. But I don't know why you're here tonight. I don't know why you're going to work tomorrow. I don't know why you have the friends that you have or why you have the hobbies you have or do the things you do. Only you know what race you're running. (laughs) It doesn't matter what job you have or only you know what race you're running. And that's like, that's a very empowering thing. It's also kind of a freaky thought to go, oh wait, I can't just show up to the three things and do the equip course and then you can't, there's, I don't know what race you're running, only you do. And you can do that kind of stuff for not Jesus goals, for not righteousness goals. You can do it to, I've done this all the time in my Christian faith. What are the things I have to do to make sure I maintain my social status for all the perks that you guys afford me? It's it's very easy to miss him in Christian culture. And yes, it's easy to miss him in the secular world, whatever that word means. Um, But I think it's important to remember that we get to decide what race we're running. And there's some really cool promises attached when we run the right race. So I I feel like I ask this of myself all the time, and maybe you do, when I think about trying to win the Christian race when it gets abstracted from not being the person of Jesus, like a relationship with him. When it gets abstracted to like being good or seeming Christian or, uh, I don't know, having a nice life that sounds like what Jesus would want my life to be about. When it gets abstracted, we start ask, I start asking myself this question like, am I winning right now? Am, am I winning? But if you think about, you think about that question is absurd in a marathon. You know when you're winning or not. But you know when you've achieved, you, you crossed the line or you didn't. Like if you're, it, it's almost like, a, I feel like this is sometimes my Christian walk, is I'm in a marathon and then I stop in the marathon and start making a bouquet of flowers on the side of the road and I make a nice bouquet of flowers and I go, am I winning? I did a thing, but it's like, it's a, it's a ridiculous question. It's like, no, no, this is a, this is a race that you signed up for as a marathon. Keep running. There's a goal. Like you don't stop and make the race about a different thing. And so I, I just realized I've done that a ton. You have made it not about the real prize. So if you know where you're running, you know how to, like, if you know what race you're running, you know how to win. And I think the race that we're running is falling more and more in love with Jesus and knowing him at a deeper and deeper level and finding life and life to the full more and more, being fascinated with his character, wondering what he would tell us to do today, knowing more and more about the depth of who he is and what he would have for us. It's an incredible adventure. And being loved 
and known at the same time, you talk about a prize. Like, being known and loved at the same time is an unbelievable experience. If you haven't had it yet, like, you haven't been known and loved at the same time, highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. It is painful. Oh, my goodness. You want to talk about discipline? You want to talk about striking a blow to your body? Be known and loved at the same time. But that's what the church is supposed to afford us. That's what spiritual family is supposed to afford us. That's what our small groups are supposed to afford us. It's what our it's what our devotions, devotional time in the morning are supposed to afford us. We're going, Lord, here's exactly who I am today. Tell me who you are. Like, that's, that's running the race. So, uh, I would ask you, if you, here's how you know if you've, like, do you know him? Do you know him? And if you feel like you don't, run that race. The other ditch is not training for the right prize. The first ditch is training for the wrong prize. You know, go to church because you've decided it's advantageous. Or have a great career because it will make you money or make you feel secure or provide for your family. All great. Certainly those things are involved in our lives. Certainly there are things that Jesus asks us to do all the time. But, but do we, training for the wrong prize is problematic. But not training for the right prize is also problematic. There is no replacement for training and discipline that is explicitly centered around the purpose of building a relationship with Jesus. There just isn't. And I think about this with your friendship or your marriages or you, you do life with your spouse or your friends or your community all the time. You just, you bump into them and, and excuse me, I need to get into the fridge now, you know, and like you just live life with them. Uh, that's, that's a really essential aspect of our relationships with others and with God. We go to work because he told us to today and it wasn't explicit, it wasn't amazing and it, the, the heavens didn't open, but I was faithful to my, my father today. Happens all the time essential, essential to our walk with God and other people. And sometimes you have to have a movie night and sometimes you have to go on a date and it'd be really strange if you were like in love with somebody and there wasn't time spent, ex- like spent explicitly with them because that was the point. And that requires training too. I've been married for a year and a half, and you know, it does require training. I don't, I don't have a, the market cornered on this, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's like, effort has to be applied. And you know, when you're dating, it's just like, oh, all these ideas come to you. And then eventually the ideas stop coming. You're like, those were easy before. <laughs> you, you, it requires training. Be, and it gets more and more beautiful because now it costs you in ways that, uh, what's the word? Infatuation just doesn't. Praise God for infatuation though. Wow, it gets us through a lot, doesn't it? Amen, Nate. So I think about uh, this opportunity that we have next week to fast. Uh, I'm like 50-50 on the fasting thing when it comes to like, sometimes I have good weeks and sometimes I have not so great weeks. Um, but, but what if we were to do them for a deeply relational reason? Like what if we did them because we're running for the right prize? Well, now do that then. But don't do it because the church is doing it. Or maybe do it and then, but for that reason, and then really fight for the right one. Because sometimes it's just good to strike a blow to our flesh so that I'm not disqualified from the prize, so that I experience the joy of running towards that which is noble and purposeful. I think we're really afraid of legalism, you know, for good reason. 
in Western culture, church. We don't want to make rules. You have to fast, and you have to be in a small group, and you have to uh, go to the courses. And we, 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 we so try to squirm out of that stuff, I think, a lot. I know I do. I don't like when people put me in boxes and plan things for me and say I have to do this, and I have the three steps towards achieving the... I don't like that stuff. But, uh, wow, have we come a long way from catechism where it's just you say the words in front of everyone and then we're all going to hold you accountable to it and I don't care if you meant it. <laughs> like, there were a long way from that. There's obvious ditches to that. We don't know what the people mean when they say the things they're supposed to say, right? Of course we know the ditches of, did you mean it? But here's what happens, is we, we do this, our culture does this, or millennials, we go, the, the, uh, the pushback to legalism is, I have to do things from my heart. Right? Isn't that our pushback? When people are legalistic and they tell us to do the thing and sign up for the course, we say, yeah, but is my heart really in it? Here's what I've realized. Is saying, is my heart really in it, is not an excuse against legalism. It is a reason to do the thing. Like, uh, sure, your heart might not be in it, but at some point, you have to run the race. At some point, you have to put your feet, and you have to run the race and put one foot in front of the next, and somebody gave you two steps to do. That's huge. That's huge. That's do two steps. And I think those are massive gifts. And so I've stopped. When, 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 when I get told to do something and I say, yeah, but my heart's not really in it, that's an alarm bell, not an excuse. Like, oh, my heart isn't in it. Okay, well, then I'll do that then, because my heart's not in it. That's scary, because that thing isn't bad in and of itself. My heart's the problem. My heart's not in it. I'm on trial, not the rules. And of course, we all have stories of legalism being really damaging for people because it pushes people into a box, and their hearts aren't in it at the end, and the process wasn't helpful to them. I know. I don't think we're... We're in danger of that right now. I, my heart, I'll speak for my own heart, my heart is much more in danger of using my heart than it is, and is an, as an excuse not to do things that cost me something, not to do things that are painful, not to do things that require the discipline and striking a blow to my body. And, and then all of a sudden I find myself running a different race and it was my fault. So I think of, uh, there's some really cool promises attached to running the right race. Because... Uh, well, I'll just read Matthew 7, 7 and 8. It says this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. And so, uh, really amazing what you were saying earlier, Mom, and Jessica's story. When John was singing with that song, Where You Are, here's what... Here's what I'd love to leave you with that I think is a beautiful truth, is this image of a race and a prize conjures this image of like you run for a long time and then eventually you get to a place, right? And the metaphor kind of falls apart because when, this has been my experience, when we choose to run the race, he is there with us immediately. He runs the race with us. And if you hear legalism in this sermon of like, you have to do hard things and discipline your body and like, oh, this, like, let's make sure we whip ourselves so that we really mean it. That's not what the discipline and the cost means. It's, it's a choice for humility 
And Jesus is always one decision of humility away in any given moment from you and I. One one soft-hearted moment away. One moment of striking a blow to that which is selfish in me and my own pride. He's right there every single time. I think about this um, with Steph. If we're having an argument and where there's some disagreement or some tension, one of the two of us, and it's usually her, decides to have a soft heart first. And all of a sudden, the point, like, all of a sudden you're close because someone decided to be soft-hearted and look and do this instead of this. And what you realize is that relationship, the crown of life, the point, the prize, isn't actually 40 kilometers away. It's one moment of repentance and conviction and decision to choose others other than you, a soft heart, and immediately the prize is there. That's such good news. It's not a journey of religion. And it's religion is here's the rule book, here's the disciplinary chart. I hope you make it. That isn't that's religion, and this is not what we have. We have a relationship with God who's longing to be with us every step of the way, longing to run the race with us. And the only problem is we're too proud to see him and we want to pick flowers instead of run the race. That's the only thing going on. He would run it with us if we let him. And it's incredible how much our pride and lack of soft-heartedness blinds us from the prize. If there's sin in your life, it's going to blind you from the prize. If if you're proud, it's going to blind you from the prize. If your heart isn't filled with love, you'll be running a different race. And I invite you to repent in the face of that and choose a better goal and a better prize that has life and relationship at the end of it. That's a good year. God might call you to build a business. Do that for him and with him. Wow, what a noble pursuit. What explicitly Christian activity that would be. If God's called you to share your faith in some way with your neighbor, wow, do that because you love them and you love him. That's hard. I don't know what the things are. I don't know what race you're running, but I do know that there's a prize worth pursuing. And I invite you to take whatever God has given you and see that as amazing opportunities in pursuing him. Uh, we're going to take communion together. I think what's so beautiful about communion, the image that it is, is that it's, uh, it's, like, it's meant to be a cleansing, right? The blood is a cleansing and it's forgiveness, and then the bread is sustenance for the journey. Uh, I just think that's so cool how, you know, uh, the, first kind, the first iteration of communion, if you will, is the exodus, right? Where the lamb is slain and blood is put over the doorpost, and then the lamb is eaten for the journey which is just a really powerful image. And so I think that as we take communion together, we remember that God made a way for us to be, for him to be with us in the middle of the race, that the prize is instantly accessible through repentance and choosing him. And he's with us the whole time. What an amazing gift. And so those who are handing out communion, you guys can do that now. I'm gonna invite John up, he's gonna lead us in a song. And what's gonna happen is, uh, as John leads us in a song of response, they're going to hand out the elements, and then uh, Pastor Matt will lead us through communion between those two songs. But I just want to pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you that you've given us a noble pursuit this year, and it's to find you, and it's to see you in everything. And Lord, I thank you that communion and repentance is just, it's a soft-hearted decision away. And so, Father, I pray that you would empower us by your Spirit to choose you in this moment and to see you and say, I want to be where you are. I know you're here with me. And would you turn my life 
into something explicitly about you. Lord, if there's people that don't see how their life is about running the race or, the pro- or, or that ultimate prize, right now, I pray that you'd show yourself to them in that space, that you'd give them opportunities as they surrender to you, as they choose to make their life about that which is ultimately purposeful of knowing you, as, as they choose to do that, that you'd illuminate how noble their entire life is, how well-suited each of our life is to suit, to serve you and to know you and to love others. You've placed us each in unique situations that are custom-made to advance your kingdom and to get to know you better. And Father, if, there's, if we're running from you in the opposite direction, Lord, I pray that you would bring your kindness to that place, that you would bring your peace and say, no, I wanna be a better leader than you. And in your kindness, would you minister to those in that camp as well? Thank you for what a gracious leader you are and how you invite us to serve you and love you in return. We're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.